0: Are we are we live now. I'm
1: recording. You're what listening you to, to, to Umbrella, Umbrella 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 Cast.
2: Umbrella Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast, recorded live at Audioland. I'm Tim Burrows. And
1: I'm Vivian Kelly.
2: And joining us to break down the week in media and marketing is Mumbrella media writer Hannah Blackiston. Hello. This week is a special occasion for the Mumbrella Cast. Our Our 50th edition, since we brought it back, we sort of think of it as season two, although season one was seven years ago. And it's also the first one that we've recorded in front of a live audience. So, we've asked a friend to join us. Please welcome... Our special guest, HTE boss Kieran Davis. <laughs> uh, but first, the week's topics
1: Anthony Catalano returns with a big regional newspaper deal.
2: Winners and losers in Radio Ratings Week.
1: And were the dark screens of Game of Thrones really a disaster?
2: So, before we get into the week's news, we're going to start with Kieran. So, Kieran, first, um, uh, for our listeners, let's catch up on HT&E. Now, you're the brand that they once used to call APN News and Media, back when you owned newspapers and were in outdoor as well. Two years ago this week, happy birthday. Thank you. You rebranded as HT&E, short for here, there and everywhere. Uh, these days, you're known best for being a radio company. Although you've also got assets in digital and in esports, um, we'll, we'll talk about the radio side of things shortly when we talk about the radio ratings. Uh, HT&E stations include Kiss, Mix, WSFM, iHeartRadio, but we will get to that. But let's start with yesterday's edition of the Australian which I picked up and read with some interest that uh, you're looking at doing a management buyout of HTE. Now, any truth in that? And if so, how are you going to raise half a billion dollars?
3: <laughs> you need more than half a billion dollars. Uh, well, that's your, that's your current market capitalization. Well, uh, if you want to put a premium on top of it, you got to put more than oh, half a billion dollars. What are you looking for? About 50% for our shareholders. <laughs> um, oh, I don't usually comment on speculation because I think I'd be commenting all the time, but it's, it's, it's absolutely not true. Um, you know, we have spent the last number of years transforming old APN into HT&E. You know, not wasn't that long ago that eighty percent of our revenues were in newspapers. We had what about four hundred million of debt. Um, today, we are yes, predominantly an audio business and radio business. We're, we're a smaller EBITDA business, but we have one hundred and fifty million cash in the bank. Um, and I think we've demonstrated over the years that, you know, when it comes to restructuring media businesses, there aren't many people who've done what we have done, uh, to get out of newspapers, to manage to save shareholders a a lot of of devaluation if you like, in terms of shutting down a a printing business like that, and to have, uh, you know, a very focused strategy and a capital uh, balance sheet that that means that we can actually look forward to the next five, ten years with a lot more confidence of where we're going and what we're doing so we're very pleased about that, as for the, the speculation yesterday, it's nonsense. And in terms of um,
2: that $150 million in the bank now, mm. in the long term, yes, it's better than being in, in deeply in debt, but shareholders like their money to work, yep. which feels that if you've got to buy something, you'll give some money back to shareholders, or you
3: it's still a breakup play, I suppose. Um,
2: where do you think you're going to land?
3: Uh, well, we gave $280 million back to shareholders last year. Um, through the sale of AdShell. In terms of other capital management initiatives, we've just about completing a $50 million buyback. Um, We're looking to do another one. Um, So that is value accreted for shareholders. Um, You know, we've looking at our dividend policy, which we turned on 18 months ago. Um, and and obviously we will look at the right acquisition opportunity if and when it comes along. But what we're really doing, focusing now, is looking at HTE, ARN predominantly. Um, you know, we've heard today around how exciting the audio industry is, um, what we can do with that. We are uh, looking at our options, but it'll be very focused on delivering on strategy, which is you know really what our shareholders want to hear. And, and I think we have demonstrated that if there are opportunities for value accretion for shareholders, we will absolutely do them.
2: Let's talk, um, a bit about the publishing side of things. You bought, uh, conversant media back in 2016 for, um, I think the initial, uh, the, 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 first tranche of payments was 11.6 million, which, I uh, I think at some point I, I formed the view or wrote that it sort of come along about the, you know, a little bit after junkie and pedestrian. And it, it felt a bit to me like you were buying the, um, the last house on the street. <laughs> um, has it, has it been, a good deal for you? Has it been worth that money? Would you do that deal again?
3: Sure. Uh, I think it, it's a. Uh, I wouldn't agree there was the last house in the street. I, I think from our perspective, um Sport is an area that ARN is not particularly strong in. Uh, it's not a category that we broadcast to. Our audiences is, is, um, and our brands are not really aligned to sport. And Conversant had the roar. And Conversant had the roar, yeah, exactly. Um, so there were smaller brands like Lost and E-Minor um, that, that were never really part of the play. The, the roar is the play. So Lost and e E-Minor and Techly have both closed. Yeah, well, they've been integrated into what the content we do for Kiss and WSFM. Um, But The Roar is is still doing very well, it's carved out a huge niche in in sort of being the strongest user-generated sports website in in the country. We do an awful lot of video, we're doing about 4 million videos all the time, and we're now integrating that with what we're doing on air. Um, So we've just launched a a Roar podcast, which will, you know, get a lot of profile. We are integrating it with Roar sports programs uh, at the weekend. Uh, You'll hear a lot of it now on on WSN Gold, particularly. Um, So for us, you know, we're starting to win share in a category that we didn't do, very well in i think the learnings of it were for us um if i was doing something like that again you know zach and zolton were the two founders of conversant two two super guys um i think they wanted a taste of the corporate world um and and as two very successful entrepreneurs they probably saw the corporate world and said i don't want it to be in the corporate world so i think if i was doing it again i would you know align what the founders want uh, and either make and make a call on it very quickly and, and if that means stay or go but go quickly
2: so or stay Would you have rather you'd have found a way to to give them a path that could have kept them within the organisation?
3: Yeah? Yeah, yeah, we would have. But but it's equally, you know, they are they're entrepreneurs. They they start businesses from scratch. They're they're used to working very dynamically. They're used to working on a shoestring. Um, and you know, for those in the corporate world, it's it's different. You know, it, things maybe go a bit slower for them than they wanted. Um, but you know, I think again, what they're doing, and I know they've got a couple of projects on the run at the moment. They they'll be back. They're brilliant.
2: Let's talk about another investment you've made, or investments. Um, esports is yep. something which I think more than many of the other big media companies, you, you've actually made some deliberate plays in. Yep. And it sort of felt like, you know, I remember seeing uh, Megan Brownlow present at Umbrella three hundred and sixty a couple of years ago, and that was one of the opportunity areas she pointed to. And um, and it, it kind of felt like this was something that you know, marketers and media companies really would be jumping into. Uh, and I totally get that it's still a developing space and we'll get there. Were you, did you invest slightly too far ahead of the curve, do you think?
3: Oh, no, I don't think so. I mean, esports is going to be massive. So talk it's, us through what you've done. So what we've done is established, if you like, the, the AFL or the NRL of esports in Australia. Um, our view will be that esports will be in the top 10 most watched sports in the world in the next five years. Um, it's got a huge level of engagement with males predominantly under you know, 25 to 45, let's say, which is a hard category to hit. And the parochial nature of Australia is that they like sports, they like rivalry. So we were setting up a a franchise league for esports. I think what we found is that everybody wants to play in it, but none of the brands yet really want to commit big time to it. So we've talked with every major advertiser in australia uh, we've had good support through the likes of dell from from dare uh, we've had a great first season we ran two competitions we had really good numbers what we found though is that a lot of the numbers are actually outside australia and when you're uh, trying to build an australian audience for australian brands that that's harder to do um, the two learnings that are there at the moment the power in esports is with the publishers and with the broadcaster Twitch, effectively, and I think everybody else in the moment is just scrambling around the middle, figuring out what the business model is. I have no doubt, though, it is going to be enormous. It is going to be mainstream, um, and as for us investing ahead of the curve, I'd I prefer to invest at in the curve because it's cheaper, a lot of learnings, um, and it still is a very exciting opportunity for us.
1: And last year, Kieran, you sold off AdShell, your outdoor street furniture business, yeah. and with that. A lot of the criticism that was then levied at HT&E was that you weren't really a holding group anymore because the main asset that you were holding was ARN. So, why did you sell AdShell and what does that mean for HT&E as a holding group when most people say, well, now all they've got is ARN. Um,
3: we, we sold AdShell because our job is to deliver value for shareholders and a selling price, a share price, or sorry, a purchase price of 570 million was an extraordinary value that we got. Um, you know, the first offer that came in was for 400 million um, and through a very good process that we ran, we drove that to 570 million. And. Um, I think it demonstrated the power of AdShell as a business um, which does require a lot of capital investment over the next two, three years uh, as it's going through its contract renewal program. Um, So from our perspective our job as a holding company working for shareholders to derive value and 570 was terrific. In terms of where we sit today yeah we're predominantly a holding company uh, sorry we're predominantly a radio company and I would agree I think as time goes on the the gap between HT and E and ARN will will get shorter we've started that process already Um, you know we're, we're We've we've looked at our corporate headcount. We've looked at our corporate costs. We're pulling back there. And you've probably seen announcements whereby we're starting to integrate those people in sort of head office and ARN and bringing them closer together. And I think that work will continue over the next 12 months.
2: HTE and ARN—is that one brand too many now? Then potentially, yeah. What will you do, what
3: will you do about that then? Uh, I think what we'll do is we still have a number of investments that that really have good, strong shareholder value. We've a, a shareholding in a, in a instant messenger business called Soprano, which is very valuable. You know, we have an outdoor business in Hong Kong, which is doing very well for us. Uh, we've got esports there. We've got a small little investment that we don't talk about much in a in a VR company called Unbound, which is based down in Canberra, which I think has some really exciting things coming through so there still are things in the background but predominantly we're focused on on arn and how we maximize the 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 return and the performance of that business and then just before we get into the
2: the the, the week's news i suppose the the one other investment is um i think is it a 50 percent share in emotive yeah now that that to me great agency does great sort of i guess it feels to me like content inspired advertising work. You know, they, for people who don't know, they did the Ricky Gervais Optus ad is probably the one that people think of. Um, I've never quite understood what, what, other than providing the capital to get them going, what the logic of a motive within ht is?
3: Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I mean, first of all, it is, it's it's uh, it's profitable, which not many creative agencies can say after about three years. Uh, I think Simon and the team out there are doing extraordinary Simon work. Simon Joyce. Simon Joyce, yeah. I think they're doing extraordinary work. Their new go-to-market proposition around um, social to scale is, is resonating well. From our perspective, as we had at Shell at the time, as we had eSports at the time, um, we were certainly looking at how social video is going to be incorporated across all our assets it still is there um so you know it's profitable it's providing return for shareholders if we can get a 17 times multiple that monkey's got then we'd take it um but it's it's something that i think simon should be very proud of in terms of the work that he does and the the niche he has created for himself in the market
2: well as i say we will get onto the radio part of kieran's day job shortly when we talk about this week's ratings next the cat is back So on Tuesday, Anthony Catalano, the man who led Domain's successful charge onto the ASX, returned, if he was ever away. He's leading a $115 million buyout of Nine's regional newspapers. Now, Viv, back in a former life, you used to write about real estate. So you've followed the cat's adventures quite closely over the years. What's he up to?
1: Well, if you ask the cat, he would tell you that he believes in the future of regional print media – uh, there is definitely a question mark over that and obviously many people are questioning does anybody let alone the cat believe in the future of regional print media so you can buy into what anthony's telling people that's one school of thought that you know he tried to buy fairfax when nine succeeded at buying fairfax Didn't so he
2: really though well
1: so this is his way of, of getting back in that's one school of thought the other school of thought is that he's looking to do a really big roll-up so Anthony Catalano has a stake in a media agency called Tomorrow, which happens to be Domain's biggest client. So, they buy ads on behalf of developers and real estate groups, which gives Domain its biggest chunk of advertising revenue. He's now going to have 160 plus regional print papers and 130 regional and community websites. In those towns selling real estate is still very reliant on those local media outlets. So suddenly you've got someone controlling a lot of dollars and where they're going and the assets that would the ads would be placed there. If you add that in that there's now talk of him having a stake in another agency in Sydney called Today and all the real estate assets that he has, there's a huge potential for a roll-up of closing that loop, closing that loop of buying, selling, and owning the real estate space. Anthony told me on Wednesday that he wasn't trying to take on his former employer domain. He is a bit well-known for sort of coming after a company and succeeding in taking it down. But he insists that's not the case. He wants to continue to work with Nine. He wants to continue to work with Domain. But there are all of these pieces of the puzzle coming together quite nicely for him for a roll-up. The third school of thought is that he's paid $115 million for Nine's regional newspapers – And he's got a lot of real estate with that, a lot of actual land where the printing presses are, where the offices are. So if his play is real estate, $115 million for all of those assets could be a pretty good deal if he knows real estate and he knows real estate.
2: And this includes the the print works in Richmond and Victoria? which is Not
1: Richmond in Victoria. This is the mistake that a lot of the press has made. Richmond is an inner city suburb of Victoria. That would be worth... A lot more than 115 million it's Richmond in New South Wales which is less centrally located but still from my understanding it's the size of a suburb so he's got so many developer contacts I'm sure he's got contacts in terms of if land was going to be rezoned which it would have to be so I guess yeah we'll have to wait and see but he's a man who knows property and now he's got even more of it.
2: Now Hannah um, You also were once from that, not even that long ago, from that same real estate world as Viv. Your take?
0: Yeah. Well, the other school of thought um, is that he's building himself a little regional media business, um, which is kind of interesting because News Corp were looking to sell off their regional papers in 2018. They obviously put that on hold when Fairfax and Nine started to get together. Um, and then the other discussion is whether he'll start trying to pick up a TV station as well or, you know, a TV network, um, give himself a nice little portfolio.
2: One of the regional TV Yeah, so one like of the regional. So Prime. Prime
0: or Win, any of those. Um, whether or not that is his game, I tend to lean towards Viv's assumption on this one. Um, having met the cat myself, he showed a couple of us around the new domain offices while he was still in charge. And he is a man who knows what he wants, a man who knows how to get it. And I would say a man who knows his strengths are in real estate. So it would surprise me if he's deciding to move away from that world, but we'll see.
2: Karen, you were a seller. Of regional newspapers, APN, and happily passed it on to their loving new owner, News Corp. Also, of course, own 14 or 15 percent of you. In turn, um, what was the ra- well? What, does it make sense for you? Is it what? what what's interesting about regional newspapers? You know, uh, surely it's a declining print asset. That was why you sold.
3: Um, the reason we sold is is that you know um, we we got three and a half times EBITDA, which which was a really good result. Um, it was at the time when we we sold it. It was probably going to do about ten million of EBITDA, which was down from ninety million three years previously. Uh, it was going to probably be one to two million the next year and be loss making the year after, and it was going to cost three or four million of restructuring costs. So it was it was a really challenging time for us. And the problem was we had taken out as much cost as we could. There was there was nothing else to be taken out other than shutting papers down. And in shutting papers down, then you've got, um, we had two printing presses that were in 15-year leases, so the cost of that was enormous. Um, What we found was that the local content is as relevant, if not more relevant, than ever before. You know, the the people still wanted the local newspaper to tell them what happened in the nightclub on Friday night in Toowoomba, or whatever it was. Um, There was no interest in national news, so the syndication of of content that way didn't really matter um local advertising was was pretty good was holding up not bad but because we didn't have a metro title uh to support regional play we were finding that we just weren't getting national advertisers at all and that was to be honest killing the newspapers um uh, i'd be very surprised if anthony was buying regional newspapers to run a regional newspaper group so what's Um, your guess uh it, real estate is, is, is his background. You know, I think to, to, to Viv's point earlier on as to, you know, the, the importance and the lucrative market that real estate in regional Australia is, despite what many see as a downturn in the housing economy coming, you know, he knows the game, he knows the business and it wouldn't be surprised if those conversations with news, you know, and, and their regional assets came back again.
2: Viv, what will happen next?
1: Oh, I couldn't possibly tell you that. Uh, look, I think Anthony's on his glorious return, I never suspected that he'd stay out of the media for very long once he lost his or left his post as CEO of Domain. Antony uh, loves the spotlight, he's good at the spotlight, and he's got a lot of connections. So I don't know what his next move will be, but you can sure, be sure that the media will know about it. He's not someone to do something quietly.
2: Next, unravelling the new radio ratings. So Tuesday of this week, saw the second set of radio ratings numbers for 2019. There was no change at the top in Sydney, where the nicest people in broadcasting, Kyle Sanderlands and Alan Jones, stayed at number one in FM and AM, respectively. Uh, But in Melbourne, we saw Smooth FM finally make it to the top in FM Breakfast, am I right in saying Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now Viv, you spent Tuesday chatting to radio bosses, Uh, who do you reckon is happiest and saddest this week?
1: Goodness, asking me to call out who won and lost in the radio ratings in a room full of radio people <laughs> is perhaps more controversial than giving away um, Game of Thrones spoilers. But the great thing about radio ratings is that everyone's a winner. Uh, we get emails from all of the networks after the ratings come out and goodness me, you'd never know that anyone had a bad day. Uh, I guess the highlights, obviously, Colin and Jackie O um, are up from 10.1% share to 11.4 in Sydney, making them just such the clear leaders in Sydney. Um, It astounds me that they can just, anytime there's a dip and people write them off, they just, they come right on back. But You compare that 11.4% share to Today FM in Sydney, which is saying how well it's doing. But, you know, they are still on a 4.5% share for breakfast. So, they are doing okay and Today FM say they're happy with it. But that gap is just so, so big. Uh, 2GB would obviously be happy with their 16.4%. Breakfast share, and I have no doubt that Nova is incredibly happy with the success of Smooth, and and saying that you know they're the they're the number one FM station in in Sydney and Melbourne. Now,
2: just before I bring in Hannah, let's let's just talk a tiny bit about methodology because I know earlier at the Audio land conference you you raised the question about whether the methodology of looking at ratings through the diary system might be a wee bit old fashioned. And uh, Joan uh, Warner, the boss of Commercial Radio Australia, um. She didn't really buy your argument, your proposition on that, did she?
1: I think Joan agrees with me, though, that there's a perception issue around the radio ratings methodology. So Joan believes that the methodology is robust and it's consistent and it's world class, but she does agree that every time we do anything about the radio ratings or any time they do anything about the radio ratings, the consistent response is, why are you even talking about this? It's just a stupid diary that's not not real. You can't put any weight behind it. So my contention to Joan was that they need to fix the idea that radio ratings are just bullshit. They need to convince people that it's something that people can get behind. It happens in our comment thread, you know, one of the happiest places on earth, the Mumbrella comment thread. Uh, and people people criticise it every single time. So, Joan said there's innovations coming, it's going to get better and they will convince people to buy into the radio ratings data.
2: Well, Hannah, you wrote about Melbourne this week. Smooth, did, did did really well in FM. Yeah. So they, was that the first time they've done as well as that?
0: Um, well, so it was their highest um, result in terms of percentage point gain. so oh, in terms of the share that they have at the moment. So they've got 11% share overall in the FM, which was up from – it was up 1.3 percentage points from last survey. So that's putting them as the number one FM station. Um, it's not the first time they've been there, but it was their first time as the number one breakfast show. So they're currently holding 9.5% there. Um, which is up 1.7 percentage points from last time, which it was a fairly flat survey. So 1.7 percentage points was pretty good. Um, And they knocked Fox FM's Fifi, Fev and Byron off the top spot. They dropped 1.5 percentage points. So yeah, they did. They did well and they were up across everything. They did quite well across the whole way so
2: so kieran we've covered a couple of points there and i might get you to swing back both on the rating system because i know you're you're uh, a board member of commercial radio australia but yeah let's just focus on, on melbourne for a moment now You know my uh, my view is you you've got a legitimate claim to be a brave radio boss You took a really big financial risk in bringing kyle and jackie. O across from today. FM five years ago Uh, More recently you bought christian o'connell over from the uk to gold in melbourne Um, He grew to a 7.3 share this time Um, So let's actually let's just start with christian. Are Are you happy with how he's settled in?
3: Oh tremendously um Uh, You know, obviously I would have known of Christian, you know, going back through his his London days. um, In my view, there's a handful of quality radio broadcasters in the world, uh, and and you would put Christian in that bucket. Um, His ability to engage with ordinary, you know, listeners to movie stars to, you know top um song artist is extraordinary and and you know people said it was a bit of a gamble putting in a a sort of an english accent in the melbourne market absolutely not and i I think over time we'll be proved right in that we're very pleased with what he's done i think he had a towards the end of last year i think survey 80 had an enormous spike which was unexpected uh we didn't expect him to hold that melbourne is a is an incredibly competitive market and it's going to take him a bit of time to build that that position but i've no doubt he will be a, a very strong success
1: And what about Kyle and Jackie O? Uh, They are such consistent performers. And as Tim said, you know, you did take a risk bringing them across and it's a risk in letting them go. SCA is still recovering from that. I spoke to all the radio bosses after the ratings and, and the key thing that I asked them was, how could anyone ever topple Carl and Jackie O? Now, Gemma Fordham from SCA and Fitzy from Triple M both told me that they no longer listen to Carl and Jackie O, so they don't know. that they're, they're not interested in how it's going. They're not interested in the content. But what would it take for someone to, to topple them and and how, how are you going to hang on to them? Because surely if you lost them, KISS 106.5 would be in a bit of trouble.
3: Uh, I I don't know how you topple them because you know if anybody knew people would have tried. Um, you know, long before I even came to Australia, Kyle and Jackie O were regarded around the world, like them or loathe them, at at being the best at what they do, and, and they are the benchmark for that style of breakfast show wherever you go. That um, they they have an extraordinary talent to engage. You know, every day they have an extraordinary talent to bring new audiences coming through all the time. They have an, an amazing chemistry that they actually probably know what each other's going to say before they say it. So I don't think anybody knows how to break Kyle and Jackie O. In terms of of, of you know, it's it's not, Kiss is not just Kyle and Jackie O. I think we'd a we'd a really good jump in the workday uh, listenership. We've invested in two new guys in Will and Woody across the Drive program. Um, so it's it's beyond that. You know, we've got Jason PJ down in Melbourne who you know again. Are finding it tough but like absolutely the chemistry is strong there and we will get that right so kiss is more than just kyle and jackie O, although they are if you like the the leading stars of it um very pleased with what they do i just always am a little bit careful about um, looking at book to book um we deal a lot with investors and you know advertisers don't make necessarily choices on on book to book it's a trend over a period of two or three books and if you think australia Everybody claims to be number one. You should see some of the markets in Europe where you will get press releases about particular stations being number one uh, between one o'clock and three o'clock in Cume uh, on a Friday afternoon. Like Australia is actually not too bad.
2: And speaking of books, um, your sense, is there anything you would like to see Fixed about the rating system or are you are you happy with how it works?
3: The rating system is going to be discussed ad nauseum because uh, I think people like to give out about it. It's not as uh, instant as what we have today with Spotify or Facebook or YouTube or Google but you look at any market around the world that has tried to change from a diary system and, and it has been a disaster for the industry. Uh, it's not perfect, we know that uh, but I think as we all invest more in real-time data in real-time digital products and services. Uh, And as we integrate that more through technology with comparing it to our diary system, I think advertisers actually will look at it and go, it's it's robust. And you know the most important thing? It's got a currency that everybody just follows. And at the end of the day, you look, you know, back to the UK market where we moved from share to Cum to D A B plus to digital uh, and we had different metrics, it was a disaster. And the share of revenue dropped because it was just too hard to buy.
0: So, onto more data. We also saw the Infinite Dial research come out at AudioLand. Eighty-three um, percent of people listened to radio in the last week. When I was speaking to Joan Warner about it, she said radio listeners stand the test of time. Why do you think that is?
3: I think it's similar to local uh, to regional newspapers that the quality of local content, live local, free is really important and in a time when you know people are looking for more companionship when we're spending a lot of time on our own looking at digital screens when we're um you know watching netflix on our own mostly it's a solo environment um, people you know human nature means companionship and people want to wake up knowing what the news is what the weather is what the traffic is do they need an umbrella today what happened on on my kitchen rules last night what's happening in the entertainment world and they want to hear it from people they know and like one of the great things about australian radio is that we haven't gone down, particularly in breakfast, the syndication route. Mm-hmm. I, I think what, what, what they've done in the UK, where they've canned 43 breakfast shows, is a great saving for them in terms of of headcount savings but ultimately it's not going to do the industry in the UK any good at all because you know people in Adelaide couldn't care less about Kyle and Jackie O or Fitzy and Whippa or Jonesy and Amanda or whoever else it's their local personalities and their local shows and as long as we maintain that and make it easy for our audiences to consume that content in any way possible and any fashion then I think radio will, will still be very strong as we advance more in the digital environment too. Well, let's invite
2: a question from the audience. We, we've, uh, we One of the things I've noticed as the day has gone on, and I do see a, see a hand there which we'll come to, is, is people have shown excellent microphone discipline when it's come to waiting for the microphone to get to them. So that's one of the great things about doing an audio conference is audio people understand the need to wait for the microphone. So if you wouldn't mind telling us who you are and where you're from, please. Uh, my name's Phil Silvester. I'm from the World Nomads podcast. I'm a former executive producer of the afternoon show at 2GB, which gets me to my question. Uh, if Kyle and Jackie O are the best in the business, why are they five points behind the leader in the rating survey?
3: Um, being Alan Jones. Being Alan Jones.
2: That's right. Why is, this, why is there a, an obsession with who's – I mean, you're talking about people, you know, going to QM and other different tactics. It's like, number one, in FM, they're not the number one radio station at breakfast. Why
3: is that always ignored? No, it's, it's, it's a good question. My job is, is to drive revenue into a commercial radio network. Um, and, you know, having run talk stations in other countries, um, we find that, that agencies and brands actually like the FM environment and the music environment more than they do AM. Because with AM talk radio, it's much harder to stand out in the commercials because it's, it's, it feels like you're going from editorial into ads to editorial, and the break is different. So the, the money is more in commercial radio. So I, I take your point. But at the end of the day, my job is to look at how I can drive revenue in. Revenue comes into the FM networks particularly. Uh, and that's why we claim the way it is in terms of FM. And Alan, Alan is terrific at what he does. He's a magnificent broadcaster. I think he's had 230 surveys in a row as number one. But he is not on our radar whatsoever in any way, shape or form from a commercial perspective.
1: And Philip, just in case that's a a criticism of um, Mumbrella's coverage on Tuesday, the headline was Carl and Jackie O and Alan Jones make gains in breakfast. And I don't think from a media perspective that there's any doubt that Alan Jones is number one. We're frequently criticized for not giving the AM bandwidth enough attention, but Given the political pull he has and how many column inches and I hate this phrase in the mainstream media that he takes up, I think everyone's well aware that Alan Jones is on top and well aware of his power and influence. So I wouldn't worry too much that people think Colin O is more prominent than Alan Jones.
2: Oh, <laughs> oh the, the microphone discipline has gone out of the window now, hasn't it? But no, uh, in, uh, uh, I know exactly where everyone is coming from, which is is you always know when you write the ratings story. It's the same for Melbourne as well. Why didn't you mention 3AW in the headline? Which is, I, get, I, I guess as journalists, you also look for that thing of what's the thing that's changed and, and 2GB num- being number one in Sydney, 3AW in Melbourne. Um, it'll be a big headline when they're not if that day ever comes next why was game of thrones so dark So before anyone runs from the room or turns off the podcast, a promise there will be no spoilers if you haven't caught up with Game of Thrones just yet. So this week saw the wildly anticipated broadcast of the Battle of Winterfell, which was the third episode in this uh, eighth and final season of HBO's Global Smash. The armies of the living and the dead finally went into battle, and, uh, and it was dark really dark. Hannah, how dark was it?
0: (laughs) It was very dark. Um, So, there's kind of a couple of school of thoughts here. Um, Firstly, it's important to note that the cinematographer of the episode, Fabio Wagner, has come out and said that it is the viewer's fault that it was too dark to see. It had nothing to do with them. He said people don't know how to tune their TVs properly, which (laughs) is probably accurate. (laughs) Um, He also did say that it was an aesthetic choice for the emotional impact of the episode. A lot of the scenes were filmed at night, which is important to note. Um, But, yeah, it was really dark. I was watching it on a laptop with the brightness up as high as possible and I didn't illegally download it and it was still very hard to see. Um, and I believe there were a couple of people saying they couldn't make anything out at all. Um, and yeah, there's kind of a couple of issues here. So Fabio's original point of people not knowing how to tune their TVs properly is correct. Um,
2: Kieran, do you, do you think when something goes wrong, <laughs> that your listeners fault?
3: It's, it's, it's like doing a breakfast show and not turning on the microphone as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, I'm not a Game of Thrones first. By the never, way, I've I, never, I, never, I never, once in the UK did a breakfast show and
2: forgot to turn on the transmitter.
3: Well done. Um, <laughs> that's why you're in Australia now. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, I think it's creative bullshit, to be honest. Uh, I think if you're not providing content that your audience can consume in whatever platform they watch it, get lost.
2: And <laughs> how do you, are you Are you a Game of Thrones fan? Are you a viewer? never
3: watched an episode. I never will now. <laughs> 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 and what, uh, what are you streaming at the moment oh what did I watch I do a bit of binge streaming to be honest what did I watch I watched the um, the Madeleine McCann piece which I thought was extraordinary this is the documentary of the documentary of about yeah which is on Netflix yeah it was, it was really good but like that you know you, you don't have much time um, so I, I had a spare few hours over Easter and I think I did the whole six or eight episodes in four or five hours
2: now, Vivi, When it comes to binge watching, I know you're not a Game of Thrones person. You're you had to choose. You'd be a Bachelor in Paradise.
1: <laughs> honestly, honestly, Tim, your understanding of my viewing habits is is right on point. Look, I do I do watch Bachelor in in Paradise, but I wouldn't say that that's my go to binging uh, you know activity. I'm too late to get on the Game of Thrones bandwagon. You know, this won't give away any spoilers, but I know about the red wedding. I know about everything and I'm not into violence uh and I'm not into incest and it just feels like it's not it's not the show for me. Um and <laughs> Hannah who's known me for for a good 5 years said that if anyone said to her, you should recommend Game of Thrones to Vivian, her response would be, well, you clearly don't know her at all. So I've been told by those that I love and trust that Game of Thrones is, is not for me. Uh, so in terms of my Netflix and online viewing, uh, I'm waiting for the next season of The Good Place to come, to come back. And, and that's what I'll be viewing, a lot more lighthearted and a, not, <laughs> a lot more well-lit than Game of Thrones.
2: Well, still with Game of Thrones, this week Hannah spoke to actor Isaac Hempstead-Wright who plays Bran Stark about what it is that draws audiences to the show? Whether Game of Thrones proves audiences crave intelligent programming, and if streaming and binge watching is damaging the TV landscape.
0: I'm Hannah Blackiston from M Umbrella, and I'm here with Isaac Hempstead-Wright from Game of Thrones. So just to start off, I wanted to lead in with people have more choice than ever about the content they're consuming. What do you think it is about Game of Thrones that is really bringing in those mass audiences?
4: Well, I think I think most of, of, of Game of Thrones' is success we, we owe to, to the fabulous source material that it's based on. George R. R. Martin didn't just create stories. He created an entire convincing universe um so it means that that because naturally for the format of tv you can't take everything from those books you have to kind of distill it so we're able to to literally pick and choose the best bits from from this this whole universe um and i think the thing with all the characters as well is is they're so well crafted It, it doesn't feel like they've just been added in in a writer's room they feel like real people because to all intents and purposes, they are real people. George has written multi-volume histories um, on on the characters of Game of Thrones, uh, and I don't think there are many other many other TV shows that can that can claim to have that kind of backstory. Um, so I think that means that people just. It's so much easier to get immersed in Game of Thrones than it is in, in anything else because the quality is just, is so high. Um, and, and obviously it's one of those shows, this, this whole culture of binge watching that's, that's emerged over the past sort of 20 years. Um, has, as it, Game of Thrones is kind of your, your, your classic binge watching show because it, 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 there are so many cliffhangers. There's, there's so much immersion that, that you just have to, to watch the next episode.
0: And it's interesting though because Game of Thrones kind of draws that midpoint where people do binge watch, but it's also still one of those massive event watchings. Where I think everybody...
4: it's it's so brilliant because I think there are pros and cons to this whole binge watching thing. I think it's, it can be a little bit greedy in a sense if you just sit there and watch it all in one go. You don't have time to digest it. You just it's 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 is literally binging on it. I don't it binge, binge to binge is not a good thing. <laughs> um, so uh, so I find it. I think in a sense it's it's so great that we have kept it as one of these big shared experiences because it's becoming more and more insular these days TV because you just sit there and you watch it all by yourself in one go and then you come and talk about it elsewhere whereas now week by week I mean I've never seen buzz for game of thrones like this I don't think I've ever seen buzz for a TV show in in the past year 10 years like we have for this this final season um and I just makes it so much more special. Week by week, people are having to wait and having to think and theorise and stress and worry about it. Um, and I, I think it, yeah, it creates a way more, a, a way more memorable and special experience.
0: Yeah, definitely. And there is a lot of talk at the moment about us being in the golden era of television with the incredible content that's coming yeah, out. But there time. is also still a real push for trash TV, reality TV, yeah. <laughs> do you think Game of Thrones suggests that audiences can handle more than people maybe think they can?
4: Definitely. Game of Thrones is, is brilliant because it doesn't treat the audience like idiots. It doesn't spell things out. It, 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 it doesn't do, you know, what you hope it does. It's, it's, it's categorically unpredictable um, in, in a way that so many things aren't before. Because you, you genuinely, you watch so many shows and you're like, well... He's going to survive. He's the main character, whatever. I know he's going to be safe. Although they're clearly taking it that direction. In Game of Thrones, every single episode throws up something that you didn't expect. And this season, more than ever, I I can't quite stress enough, there are so many surprises and twists and turns. Um, There's nobody I know on the cast or otherwise who knows the ending who managed to predict anything right. It's, It's totally left to feel exciting. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um how would you categorize the classic Game of Thrones fan?
4: Game of Thrones fans are truly truly passionate about it. I I and I this is completely true. I've never met a Game of Thrones fan who is isn't anything but just charming and lovely. Um everybody is is it's one of these shows because it's it's not as you say some kind of reality tabloid fodder and it's 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 not a really lame cheap show. It's so well done and people become so enthusiastic about it that, that the fans you meet of Game of Thrones, are just people who love the show. Um, and it's really special to be able to, that, that people actually care about what you do that much. They want to talk to you all the time. There are so few jobs where you, you are having a huge impact on people to the, to the extent that they want to come and just talk to you about it all day and could happily talk to you about it all day. Um, and, and that's just kind of, just feels like a credit to you and the, and the thing you're a part of that that you've been you've helped in some small way um craft something that people adore
0: yeah definitely so as you mentioned this is the final season there's going to be a massive hole in people's lives yeah what are you suggesting they turn to after this what's your favorite tv at the moment
4: what I, I, mean, I i haven't had time to watch much yeah. tv lately <laughs> um i think the thing is there will be another game of thrones mm-hmm. there, there'll be the next thing that that comes along um, may not be immediately, but but things like this, there, there'll be—I mean, there'll be nothing, anything. There, I don't think even in my lifetime there'll be anything quite mm. as spectacular as Game of Thrones in terms of the the, the cultural impacts. Um, you know, that the kind of Harry Potter level stuff. Um, I suppose people just need to fill it with uh, with real life. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Oh God, how awful! Um, yeah. It's a hard one, hard one to say, but uh, but I'm 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 uh, I'm pretty certain something else will come along.
0: Yeah, definitely. The
4: prequels as well.
0: Yes, that's true. And do you think um, the streaming landscape of TV has kind of changed how people consume things? And obviously, as you mentioned, binge watching. Do you think that's affecting the stories we're getting,
4: or do you think it's kind of still split? Good question. I mean, I think the whole streaming thing is is extraordinary. I mean. Literally, it, that's been in my lifetime that that's all mm. come in and, and been invented. Um, if you said to me sort of 15 years ago that, that, well, that'd be five then. So, <laughs> <laughs> if you said to me to ten, to like even just eight years ago, um, that an online supermarket would now be making unbelievable television programs. I'd say you're completely mad. Um, so it's definitely a whole new brave world we're involved in. Um, in, in terms of whether it's, it's changing stories i think certainly some things are being designed to be consumed in in one go um and and perhaps that is a shame because it's 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 kind of lowering people's attention spans um in, instead of having to sit and wait week by week you can just go ah there we go got all of that um but at the same time i think it's it's so fabulous to be able to immerse yourself in something like that that's that's something that 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 really um i think Adds to the experience of a lot of television because um, it's basically like watching a really, really, really long film, um, and uh, and and that's pretty unique.
0: Yeah, for sure, awesome. We'll wait with bated breath to see how it ends. Cool. <laughs> Thanks, Isaac.
2: Thanks very much. And that's it for this week. But before we go, let me remind you about an impending deadline. On Friday, which could be tomorrow, depending when you're listening to this, it's May the 3rd anyway, appointments open for the networking afternoon at next month's Mumbrella 360. Now, if you've never been, there's nothing else quite like it in the industry, a room full of hundreds of people having intense 15-minute networking meetings doing business. Big deals get done big wigs you couldn't otherwise get to available for a chat it is a pretty intense afternoon but um, you have got to make an appointment beforehand and that whole system goes live on Friday so if you haven't bought a networking ticket yet get on to mumbrella.com.au forward slash mumbrella360 now that is it for today though thank you very much to our first ever live audience and thank you to Kieran thank you everyone Turtle like. pad